0: So, you know this series of talks last week and this week and then the two Thursdays after Thanksgiving I called Life Dharma because it seemed like a good title for a, a closing series of talks to a particular chunk of my life and I was reflecting today that when I came to practice anyway, in the early 80s, as I started to practice, I was sort of an oddity in some ways, in that so many of the people that were practicing with me and then later were trained to teach had had extensive experience in Asia. Many of them were just a little bit younger than I, and so they'd been part of that great wave of hippies who went often traipsed around India and some of whom ended up doing Buddhist practice and (coughs) particularly as I began to train to teach I often felt a little out of it like how could I be authentic I hadn't hadn't been a nun and I hadn't done all of those things that a lot of people had done I was just a, a sort of a waspy woman you know kids and um, a husband and was living a sort of ordinary life and you know what was was that really the material of which dharma teachers and dharma talks are made so recently I was invited to um, write a small piece of commentary for a a book that will be coming out at some point in the future the people who are editing it have Um, gathered a bunch of various Buddhist stories a number of them Zen stories and asked a number of women teachers to write short commentaries and so I got to choose which one I wanted if I moved fast and I did so (laughs) this, this is the story that I chose three monks were on pilgrimage along the way they met a woman who had a tea shop the woman prepared a pot of tea and brought three cups she said to them all monks let those of you with miraculous powers drink tea the three looked at each other and the woman said watch this decrepit old woman show her own miraculous powers then she picked up the cups poured the tea and went out (laughs) so you know we could stop there and I could just say well what do you think you know what do you think and I I loved it um, because in some ways it is such an ordinary story you know this decrepit old woman running a tea shop and you can imagine you know what was going on in the minds of those monks you know let those of you with miraculous <coughs> powers drink tea. And they're probably sitting there going, Oh God, what powers? You know, what am I going to do? How can I is there something I have to do to prove that I can drink this tea? And and what do I do now? You know, what happens to it? I want the tea, but she's seeming to ask for these, you know, special special abilities. And it's true that you know we've all heard stories about beings who have miraculous powers. You know, even they're they're there in pretty much any religious tradition that you look at, they're certainly there in the Buddhist texts, some, you know, where monks or ahons can see into the past or see into the future or um, they know their past lives they can tell you, okay, last time I was at this and this is what happened, and before that it was that and before that it was that and and sometimes you hear stories about um, beings are able to be in more than one place at the same time um, or they're able to somehow very fast what they call it astral travel you know, go vast distances, leaping across mountains and that kind of thing so you know, it's, it's a little challenging to come across these stories and wonder, well, what, you know, what, what do I make of them, you know? And, you know, the, so the mind leans into these stories. What what do I do? You know, should I have those powers? How do I get those powers? You know? And, and we know that even if we're skeptical of those kinds of powers, the mind is always leaning out into the next best mind to have for meditation or for just life. You know, so we're always wondering like when when will I get really accomplished in this practice? When will I be awakened? You know, will I be enlightened? Maybe tonight's the night, you know sit, really carefully close your eyes when will I get to some of these different jhana states that you read about in the text, you know, and, you know you're sitting there, Gets pretty quiet maybe I'm at the first jhana right now you know, what does that mean? You know, am I there? How do I find out? You no, know, it's really quiet maybe it's the second jhana and so we're, we're always wanting this a little bit more this accomplishment this goal that we're reaching out for. It's really, it's painless, isn't it? It just, it goes on and on and on. As I was sitting tonight, I was remembering a wonderful teaching from Ajahn Buddha Dasa, who was a great Thai meditation master, and he said, There's nothing to do. And there's nowhere to go. And there's no one to be. It's a fabulous teaching. It's one you can memorize easily and put in your pocket and carry it around. There's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. And most delicious of all, there's no one that you have to be. It's really fabulous. And it's a great one to sit with because you can sit there You come in, and you sit down, and just for a few minutes in your day, you don't have to go anywhere. You're just here. Isn't that great? For 45 minutes, you've got to just be here. You don't have anywhere to go. You don't have anything you had to do other than breathe, which is a good idea, because, you know, you don't. Then, it's not good news. And, you didn't have to be anybody for 45 minutes. Look around the room, half of these people don't know you, right? So, you know, whether you're a teacher or a doctor or a mom or a retired person, doesn't matter. And not only that, you don't have to be that person <coughs> for a while. You can put that down, which is a wonderful relief a lot of the time, not to have to be anymore. And we began the group tonight by reflecting on um, telling the truth about this particular moment. What is it to be just here, in this moment of practice, being with just this breath, just the way it is, just this body, exactly the way it is, this mind and the heart, whatever that truth is. And again, it's that place in practice where so often we want some other truth, And you know, many people have come to me over the years and they say, I can't meditate. My mind is never still. I don't know how you get a still mind. And they they usually don't believe me when I say, it's not about having a still mind. Once in a while the mind gets quiet. It's really great when it does. Mm -hmm. It can be very blissful. Mm -hmm. And it is not the purpose of mindfulness practice. Mindfulness practice is about being present with what is, whatever it is. The lovely Galway Canal poem that I read almost at every retreat I teach, he (coughs) says, whatever what is, is, is what I want. Only that, but that. Whatever what is, is, is what I want. And that's what our practice is about. What is, not anything else. And really being present with what is. Not with wanting a mind that's more quiet or somehow more awakened, but just what is true. So again, this couple of times recently um, here, we've had some conversations about this amazing teacher, his name was Deepa who was the teacher of many of my teachers. So she was a teacher for Joseph Goldstein and Jack Kornfield and Sharon Salzberg and many, many, many of the others. She was a teeny, teeny, teeny little Indian woman. She stood maybe just a little bit more than four feet tall, and she was an amazing practitioner. That's the story. go. And um, Stephen Batchoy, when he was here a couple of weeks ago on that Monday evening, and um, Sylvia so they in the book that the committed students group was reading both talked about her and she was noted for her very very deep dharma and for um, a very powerful practice and for having some of these special powers and if you read any of the stories about her you will read that you know she could people thought she could do some of these things like walking through walls and being in two places at once and being here and then suddenly being there and having all these psychic powers and so I don't know, I didn't know her um, and if you listen to Stephen you know he was a little skeptical but if you listen to other people they're not so skeptical so again, you know, how do you hold this? but one in particular that was quite interesting, and that Sylvia mentioned, was that she she talked about this business of walking through walls. And, you know, people would say, well, she can spread her molecules out, you know, somehow walk up to the wall, and then sort of just, I don't know what to do with your, I don't know how to do it, but, you know, you get your (laughs) molecules kind of thinned out enough, and then you can just pass through the walls. I said to my husband, who's a physicist, I said, what do you think? He said, I don't think it can be done. No, But what we do know is that sometimes we can come up against walls, right? Interior walls. Interior walls. And those walls are a little different. And so, we, this week I asked the committee students for some words about their walls and things like thick and really old and very well defended. Those kinds of words came up. You know, these really really high walls, you know, made out of rocks and stuff. And those walls I think we can experiment with. And I think it's a very I've been playing with the image all week, so I'm kind of interested in it right now. That sense where, you know, if you're sitting <coughs> and something comes up, you know, maybe some discomfort in the body and you think, oh, a wall. Let's see if I can walk through it. And what would it be to be able to move through this experience of pain, or anger, or fear? Not to make it go away, but to just get big enough and spacious enough and not so contracted and tight so that we just can be with it or move through it onto whatever comes next. It's a very interesting exercise. I completely recommend it to any of you. But just play with it in your minds. Um, because I think it's one of the ways that we can work with some of these images even in the context of our very ordinary life. Because I think this is the miracle. This is the place of miraculous power. It's that miracle of the opening... And awakening of the mind and the heart, and that's possible for everyone. Poss- absolutely, totally possible for everyone. The Buddha said in his say, "I would not tell you to do this if I did not think it were possible." And I think all of us who have followed in his footsteps and the footsteps of many, many wise beings continue to say that we think it's possible for that awakening and opening to happen. The miracle of being completely present just in this moment. And the astounding nature of simply learning to be here. I've been thinking a lot. As as most of you know, I just had a birthday. And it was a big one. It was 70 and yeah, you seventy's know, really weird. is <laughs> very weird, and, and because you know there's something mm, you know, you know that, that at seventy there just aren't lots and lots of years left, and um, and there are. I'm here to tell you there are entirely too many obits with people in their seventies. I don't know what's going on, but I think it should <laughs> stop far as I'm concerned dying young and you know I'm not interested to leave anytime soon but what is also true is that the closer I get to not being here the more amazed I am at what it is to be here just in this ordinary in my case female human body enough, it's astounding, and so we can practice that place of amazement and that place of seeing miracles in our ordinary, everyday lives. Last night, Russell came home and he said, "I have something I have to see it, show you on on the internet." It's always on the internet, you know, you know another YouTube video, which it was actually. <laughs> <laughs> This was a YouTube video that had been taken from the space station. Some of you might have seen it of the Earth turning. I completely recommend it to you. It is the most astounding picture. There's the Earth turning below you, and you can see lights where there. Sometimes you see lights where there's cities. You can see flickering lights in the clouds, sometimes where there's lightning, sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's covered with clouds, sometimes you can see the aurora borealis up at the poles, you know, the green, and, and it is, and it, you know, you watch it and you think, oh, this is our planet, this is our planet hanging there in space, what is this, what is this amazing thing, what, what more miracle do we need? What more miracle do we need? It's not, it seems much more interesting to me than levitating or time travel or or walking through walls. And every day, we learn more about how astounding it is to be here. You know, we learn things about, you know, (laughs) chemistry and physics and biology and, and, you know, Last a few weeks ago in September I taught at Spirit Rock with Bob Stull and we did the 32 parts of the body again which many of you have done with him here in this room and you know a, an intense week of going you know head hair, body hair nail teeth, skin, flesh, knees, bone bone marrow, kidneys and on through all of the 32 parts and, and talking as he loves to do and I love to help him about all of the things that all of these different parts do, you know, um, the kidneys flushing their 400 gallons of blood every day and, and how many trillions of blood cells there are and all of that. After a while, you, you come away like, oh my goodness. It's, it's happening right here. It somehow keeps itself going and doing all of these things, and I don't have. Anything to say about it for the most part. I feed it, I take care of it, but you know, I don't, I can't tell my kidneys, let's flush a little more light right now and a little less. I mean, it would be nice if I could, but I can't. Um, you know, let's digest a little better, you know, a little less gas, a little more, whatever. <laughs> you can't do that. It just does its own thing in this incredibly complex way. It is truly a miracle. And we know, we know that when they're, you know, they found out out there in space that in the masses of gas and particles that happen around um, supernova explosions that there are already amino acids. There are already the building blocks of life. So there's one theory, anyway, that says that life is inevitable that in certain parts of the universe, under the right, right conditions, life will happen, because all of the things that it takes to make life are there. And, you know, it takes very, very special conditions for there to be conscious life, which makes us extraordinarily special, actually, in the universe. But it's, it's astounding that it may be part of the process. So this old woman, you know, pouring tea, challenging, woman she was a decrepit old woman, you know, so she, maybe she was 70, I don't know, <laughs> 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 I don't know, and she'd been around for a while, and I can almost imagine in her wise woman's way, you know, that, I, 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 let me just segue a little bit here. I like to think of this as a story not only of, of this woman in these months, but also of the masculine and feminine elements in all of us. So that this wise feminine that she's into what's really useful in just the ordinaryness of life, and this masculine that sometimes gets very goal-oriented. And this is not a male-female thing. We all have both of these, you know. And we all need both of these. they're both <coughs> useful in their time. But in the story, she could probably sense, you know she may have even known, these I mean, young guys, you know, I like to think of them as young, that maybe they came in kind of hold themselves as monks a little bit and you know what they could do and their particular accomplishments on the cushion or whatever. And so there's the challenge, you know. Let those of you with miraculous powers drink tea. And, you know, challenging all of us. Let any of you with miraculous powers drink tea. And and then knowing that there was something in the ordinariness of the tea leaves and the water and the pots and the actual ability to pour the tea. And that was miracle enough. So I thought, I remembered as I was writing this today, a wonderful poem, another Zen poem, actually, um, from Hakuin. I'm just going to read you part of it. That I think speaks to all of us. He says, All beings by nature are Buddha, as ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there is no ice. Apart from beings, no Buddha. How sad that people ignore the mirror and search for truth afar, like someone in the midst of water crying out in thirst, like a child of a wealthy home wandering among the poor. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness how bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly, is anything missing now? Is anything missing now? Nirvana is right here before our eyes. This very place is the Lotus Land. This very body, the Buddha. I think I'll stop there and see if we have any.